This weekend is going to be a hot one, and Walters has you covered literally. Walters Streetery has recently been covered with UV-protected panels that provide 10 to 20-degree cooler shade, making Walters a great al fresco dining option. Sunday night, Walters is also showing the Mayweather-Logan Paul fight at 8. While you're there, make sure to check out their self-pour beer wall, featuring tons of local drafts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. First pitch. Swung on and driven the air to left center field deep. Schwarber back to the warning track, to the wall. He's out of room, and it is gone. A long three-run homer for Andrew McCutcheon, and the Phillies lead 4-1. to one. And this turns into a huge inning for the Phillies. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, June 6, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, here is all you need to know. The Nationals, since totaling 16 runs over that oh-so-modest two-game winning streak at the Atlanta Braves, have totaled five runs in three games. The 5-1 loss at the Braves, a 2-1 win at the Phillies on Friday night, and then this latest game, a 5-2 loss at the Phillies on Saturday. A reminder that, yes, there are some wins mixed in and there are some good moments mixed in, but this is a team having a bad season with a woeful offense, and Saturday was one of the more woeful performances we have seen so far this season. Mark, welcome back to the pod. See what you missed? Yeah, boy, I wish I had worked Friday night because you had a nice game to handle all by yourself. Nice job on that, by the way. No, this was one I would have rather had off. You said five runs in three games. It's five runs and 14 hits in three games. And Sam Clay ruined this one for me because I had a stat ready to go that was just going to be astounding. I'm going to give it anyways here just because this is crazy. If not for what happened in the bottom of the eighth where the Phillies tacked on a run on on a few hits, this would have been the 11th time this year that the Nationals had only given up four or fewer hits, okay? You want to guess their record in those 11 games would be in which they've allowed four or fewer hits. Well, I'll guess it's not good. I'll say three and eight. You had it even worse than it really is. Five and six. That's bad. (laughs) To have a losing record when giving up four or fewer hits, that's really, really bad. And it just points to what we've been saying all along. The path to victory for this team is so narrow. They have to get great pitching. They have to get great defense. And then they have to hope that the lineup can score a couple runs. That's what happened Friday night. I mean, there was a bad offensive game Friday night, but they won 2-1 because Max was great and the defense was great. Well, what happened Saturday? Joe Ross was good, but not good enough. One really big mistake. And it was compounded by one bad defensive play by Josh Bell. 
This one is hit on the ground right side. Knocked down by Bell. He kicks it to his right, shovels the ball to Ross, and it's off his glove. And so Segura will reach. So Bell boxed it around initially, then the ball hit off his foot and kicked toward the foul line. And because of that, the offense, we knew they weren't going to produce enough to overcome that. That's the story of the season right now. What I think is becoming very entertaining, too, is the Davey Martinez postgame Zoom press conference. We all know how Davey is, right? We all speak Davey after him being here for these years and now being officially the winningest manager in Nationals history. But Davey's getting frustrated. I'm noticing these in these postgame pressers. You know, it was just a few games back. He talked about, you know, it's go time uh, after this loss. On Saturday, he gets asked about, you know, Joe Ross, and he's basically like, yeah, you know, Ross wasn't perfect. Okay, he gave up a three-run homer to McCutcheon. Okay, like, it's our offense. That's basically what he's saying. Once again, you know, offense, uh, we need to get going. We need to start hitting with runners on base. I mean, that's part of the game. We got to score more runs than the other guys at the end of the day. Davey is starting to show some wear and tear from this season, and I don't blame him, you know, because I, I think there's an, is an aspect here of Davey where he's kind of throwing his hands up with this lineup. He's doing what he can with what he has, and what he has isn't good enough. We have spent a lot of time, you know, on things like the lineup and Victor Robles batting ninth and Josh Harrison batting second and Starling Castro batting fifth. But I think we've also done a good job of acknowledging this is what Davey has to work with, and it's just not much. This is not a very good team. This is not a very good lineup. And so, yeah, when everything isn't perfect, the Nats don't win. Like you said, the path to victory is so narrow. It's like walking a balance beam that if you're just a little bit off, if something just goes is a little off kilter, you don't win. And that's what's happened with the Nats so far this year. I got a, a few tweets today when I pointed out that Josh Harrison was in an 0 for 16 slump. It's now 0 for 17, although he reached base three times, a couple hit by pitches and a walk. But people saying, why is he still hitting second? And the answer is, okay, who else is going to hit second? Who else do you have? Okay, you can move Soto up. Well, now you're going to move everybody up in the lineup. There just isn't anybody else. The bottom half of this lineup is pretty much atrocious right now. And we talk about, oh, Victor Robles should be hitting higher. He's not hitting at all either. And by the way, he doesn't have a home run yet this year, Robles. So you can only work with what you have. And what is so glaringly apparent to me now, and not that it wasn't already before, but if Trey Turner and Juan Soto don't come up big, they really can't do enough offensively to win a game. Those two have to be part of it. And if they're not, there just isn't anybody else that can carry a lineup or produce the kind of hits that you need to win a baseball game. And that's just so frustrating. And I know that Davey is feeling it. And, you know, he is Mr. Upbeat, Mr. Positivity. And he and he is like that in real life. That's not an act. But I also know that behind closed doors, he can get pretty upset. I think he is feeling it right now because he knows that this team, while flawed, not a, not a great team, while flawed, should be better than this. And that they're doing enough things well to win some of these games, and they just can't because they can't score runs. I have a question. We all love Mike Rizzo, but this is his roster. He's got to wear a lot of this. When's the last time Mike Rizzo spoke publicly? When's the last time Mike Rizzo took questions from Nationals reporters? Because it feels like it's been a while. Yeah, it was as best as I can remember during the COVID outbreak before the delayed opening day. That's a long time ago. We are now a third of the way through the season, yes. Now, traditionally... Mike Rizzo has been a fairly accessible GM compared to a lot of others. And the reason for that is he's always on the field during batting practice. He travels with the team to almost every game. And so he's there and you can walk right up to him and talk to him either one-on-one or or sometimes you'll get a group together that'll kind of corral him and do that. And in this age of Zoom only, for now, we're getting close. We can discuss this, how we're about to see some changes here soon. But in this Zoom era, it essentially requires like a formal request and then him accepting it and setting it all up. And I'll admit that I and others on the beat could maybe do more to push for it. 
we've kind of casually asked about it. We haven't really like done a full-fledged formal, okay, can we get Rizzo on this day at this time? But yeah, I think it is appropriate. I think it is time for him. I, I think it's unfair for Davey to have to be the one to always answer these things. And that it's time for Mike Rizzo to answer, not just about this, but all kinds of stuff going on with the team that you would want to ask a GM about. Yeah, I mean, Davey Martinez then put together the roster. You know, Davey Martinez manages the roster. This is Mike Rizzo's team. I mean, the way baseball works now is the general managers are the stars much more than the managers. And, you know, Rizzo's done a great job here. You know, this isn't to say like, oh, Mike Rizzo's terrible all of a sudden, but the roster construction has not been good for this season so far. I think we all would agree with that. And I think there are some questions that he needs to answer. Well, 5-2 loss at the Phillies on Saturday. Nats finished with just four hits, as we noted, to go with five walks. 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position. Completely shut down, completely humbled by a Phillies bullpen that has not been good this season, that has not been good for years. Five Phillies relievers combined to allow one run in six and two-thirds innings on seven strikeouts. It was the beef of the lineup that did not come up big for the Nationals on Saturday. Juan Soto, Josh Bell, Kyle Schwarber, and a pinch-hitting Ryan Zimmerman, a combined 1-for-12. Now, the 1 was a Josh Bell homer, that is true, but 1-for-12 with 5 strikeouts and combined to leave 12 men on base. And as well as Soto has been doing lately, he was back to scuffling on Saturday. Juan Soto was a number 2 batter, 0-for-4 with a walk and 2 strikeouts. He left 4 men on base. He Drew the walk in the top of the first, but Soto had a full count strikeout with a runner on first and one out in the top of the fifth. Soto grounded into a killer, 4-6-3 double play with runners on first and second, one out in the top of the seventh. And Soto struck out looking on five pitches for the final out of the game. Now, in fairness to him, the called strike three to end the game, that's a terrible call. The pitch was low outside of the strike zone, but this was not a good game for Juan Soto and really not a good game you know, for the likes of, like, say, Kyle Schwarber, I don't know to what extent that right knee is bothering him, but he does not look great so far in this series. And, you know, Ryan Zimmerman's been awesome so far this season, but in a big spot, he did not come through on Saturday. Pinch hitter struck out on three pitches with runners on first and second and two outs and what ended up being a mere one-run eighth inning for the Nationals as they mark continue to lead the majors, I am convinced of this, in innings that are supposed to be three, four, five-run innings and only end up being one-run innings. I feel like that has happened about a million times so far this year. You are right. I wish there was a way to easily look that one up to see where they rank in the league because it sure feels like it. I would not have guessed them. I, I was genuinely shocked when you just said they were 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position. I didn't realize they had 8 at-bats with runners in scoring <laughs> position. It did not feel like that in this game. But looking back on it, yeah, they did. They had some chances there. And you, you know what you didn't mention about Soto is he should have hit into another inning-ending double play in the third. And if not for the air on uh, Gene Segura that brought the first run home, that would have been, and that would have made for a totally miserable day at the plate for Soto. That was tailor-made, 4-6-3, and didn't happen. Um, yeah, the strike zone on him was not so great, but he's got a better, and he seemed to kind of let it get to him a little bit. He was, I think he was walking a tightrope there with the umpire. He was careful not to say anything. It was more in, in his look, <laughs> his facial expression, and his mannerisms, but he's got to be careful. And I remember when Bryce Harper, especially when he was young, would get on an umpire's bad side because of the way he would react to things. And that would ultimately cost him in the long run because the umpires would be looking for reasons either to call strikes on him or to reject him for the smallest little thing. Now, Soto hasn't gotten to that point yet, but you do want to be a little bit careful with that because it's not going to help him or the team if he's grumbling about strike zone. And ultimately, I don't think it's going to help get more pitches called balls for him. You know, as much as we want to believe, I don't think that will. I think it's only going to empower umpires to treat him worse than that. Yeah. And Saturday, 
it was kind of like him going back to the way things were before this recent bust out where he is wearing his struggles. You kind of felt like you saw that on Saturday. Now, that doesn't mean that the bust out is over. It just means he had a bad game on Saturday. But, you know, we did kind of see him wear some of the struggles, I thought, in the game. You mentioned Victor Robles, and you're right. I mean, I've been an advocate for Victor. I still think it's absurd that he got such little opportunity as a leadoff batter off us being told ad nauseum that he would be the leadoff batter for the season. But he's got a hit, too. You know, like some of this is on him, and he hasn't hit nearly well enough so far this year. 0 for 4 was Robles on Saturday as a number 8 battery, left four runners on base. Not good for sure. Hey everyone, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. So we've all had that dream, right? Tie game, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than one shot to swing for the fences because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. That's right. New users get up to $1,000 back in site credit if your first bet doesn't win, and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back in site credit each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way, you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. Games on Sunday afternoon include the Dodgers at Atlanta at 120. Trevor Bauer starting for LA does have a bit of a home run problem this season, but he's got 96 strikeouts looking to close in on Max Scherzer's National League leading 104 strikeouts. LA feels like the play. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code chat to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code chat. 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanal.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You mentioned Josh Harrison. It was nice to see him reach base three times. Uh, he did not get a hit, so uh, his slump is not over. But he did get on base three times, was hit by a pitch twice, also drew a walk. Trey Turner did have a double in the game, a one-out first pitch double in the top of the seventh. And I do want to credit Alex Avila, man. He's doing a nice job. You know, Jan Gomes is dealing with his hamstring tightness. Hopefully he plays Sunday, but that, that doesn't sound like a given by any means. But Avila draws a couple of walks in the game on Saturday, and he throws out JT Real Muto again. Alex Avila is owning JT Real Muto in this series when it comes to attempted steals throughout Real Muto on an attempt to steal a second base on a strike him out, throw him out, double play. That ended the bottom of the six. So Avila now on the season, five for 12 on runners trying to steal. Gomes is 11 of 26. So the Avila-Gomes combination, 16 for 38 on runners trying to steal so far this season. Really good to see that. And Avila, for the meanwhile here, doing a really nice job with Gomes missing time with his hamstring injury. They've been great collectively. Avila has certainly defensively been great. It pained me not to be able to do the podcast with you Friday night because I would have spent 20 minutes talking about the rundown play and the perfect oh, execution by Avila. I, I love a good, a well-executed rundown, especially one in which the person who has the ball never even has to give it up. That was so great to see a catcher out there, shortstop, tagging a runner out. I loved it. One thing here on Gomes, though, and, and this was a key moment in the game, or at least a telling moment in the game. In the eighth, Bell homers, Schwarber draws the walk, Castro singles, first and second, and they have something going, tying runs coming up to the plate against Alvarado, the flamethrowing lefty. If Jan Gomes is healthy enough to play today, they're going to pinch hit for Avila. He's not going to face a lefty. Either Gomes pinch hits for him or Zimmerman pinch hits for him right there. The fact that they didn't do that was pretty much confirmation that Jan Gomes did not feel well enough to catch the game because he would have had to take over for him, even for just like one more inning. They were not confident enough in that to pinch hit for Avila. So that was a little bit alarming to me. We'll see what happens Sunday. Knowing that there's an off day on Monday, my guess is that um, Gomes will sit again and that Avila will catch all three games in the series and four in a row, which is not a position that they wanted to be in. So you hope that this isn't any kind of long-term issue for Gomes, who has been great for them and has been a workhorse for them. I asked Davey about a pregame. They may have to start monitoring Gomes' workload a little bit when he comes back because he's catching a lot and you hope that that isn't going to cause any kind of major physical issues for him over the course of the season. You know, we've talked about this, how the Nats have been relatively healthy this season. I mean, it's not certainly across the board. Juan Soto has missed time, and obviously Steven Strasburg is back on the 10-day injured list. But the lineup, by and large, has been pretty healthy. I mean, you did, too, have the COVID-19 absences. So I guess it's depending on how you want to categorize things. But you're starting to see some chinks in the armor here with Kyle Schwarber and the right knee and Jan Gomes with the hamstring. And, you know, you just hope that some of these older guys – in being leaned on so much, don't start to fall apart here. Uh, you know, I worry about Daniel Hudson. We've talked about him and his workload. So again, there's that balance that you're trying to strike of Davey's doing what he can with this roster, but there's only so much he can do uh, at the end of the day. Well, Joe Ross was the national starting pitcher on Saturday, and it was another one of these mixed, how do you feel now about Joe Ross type outings where he certainly wasn't great, but he also wasn't awful. And there are things that you liked, and then there are things that you didn't like so much. So ultimately for Ross, four runs, all unearned in six innings. Uh, four strikeouts versus three hits, a three-run homer and two singles, two walks 
and a hit by pitch on 92 pitches. He also had another hit. Uh, Joe Ross has been an excellent hitting pitcher so far this year. Leadoff full count single in the Nationals one run third. But Joe Ross tossed three perfect innings, then allowed four runs, all unearned in the bottom of the fourth, then tossed scoreless fifth and sixth innings. So yeah, I don't know. What do we think? That four-run fourth inning was interesting. All of the runs unearned thanks to a one-out fielding error by Josh Bell. So off all of this praise for the Nats defense I uh, provided on the pod on Friday, uh, we had what Bell did in the game on Saturday. Uh, you know, these things are going to happen. But uh, Josh Bell botching his fielding of a grounder by Gene Segura on an 0-2 pitch. Ross, though, did not respond well to the error. I, I, I do find it kind of comical, and I know this is how baseball scoring goes, but all four runs are unearned even though Joe Ross more than did his part in giving up the four runs. One out hit by pitch of Bryce Harper on a 1-2 pitch. One out RBI single by Reese Hoskins, who hit an 0-2 pitch into no man's land in left field. So, okay, maybe some bad luck there. But still, that's an 0-2 pitch. You should put away Hoskins there. Ross did not. And then came the big boo-boo. Two out first pitch, three-run homer by Andrew McCutcheon on a bomb to left field on a hanging slider. So, you know, in some ways, Joe Ross should thank Josh Bell that all of those runs are unearned and don't affect the Joe Ross ERA because he did not pitch well in that fourth. But the rest of the game, Ross actually did a pretty good job. Yeah. So I was going to say before you did, this is one aspect of scoring I don't like because I know officially that's zero earned runs for him, but he earned some of the runs, maybe not yeah. all of them, but some of them. And and an error with one out and nobody on should not give the pitcher a free pass the rest of the inning. So uh, the home run, obviously, is the mistake. And, and Joe said it himself. He said, I think I was one pitch away from having a really good day. And unfortunately, that one not so good pitch cost him and cost the team. And that's where we are right now, where that's all it takes for them to lose a game. So um, that inning was not good. But up to that point, I got to tell you, his sinker, he was throwing at 95, especially the first inning to Bryce Harper. He starts it on on the left-handed batter's like elbow, and they give up on it, and it tails back over the plate for a strike, not even like right on the on the border, like legitimately for a strike. I thought that was as good as that pitch has been all year long. He agreed. He really felt like it was working well for him. He's throwing 94, 95. And then the long fourth inning, and then after that, he was fatigued, and he, and he admitted it as well. The velocity went down to like 90 by the time we got to the sixth inning. Now, he got through it all without any more damage. But I thought that was a little bit troubling that like he couldn't sustain it. You know, he was only at 55 pitches at the end of the fourth inning and he couldn't sustain it after that. And that's sort of the encapsulates Joe Ross. There's good stuff in there, but he can't sustain it and he can't maintain it over an entire start. Good for him. He got through six innings and 92 pitches. That's good. But you got to be better than that if you're going to be more than just the number five slash number six starter on a team. And at this point, that's still what he is. There is a school of thought that says we should not even have errors. Brian Kenny of MLB Network is big on that. I don't know if you can go that far because there clearly are some defensive plays that are obvious errors, but there are a lot of like gray area errors. And when it comes to evaluating pitchers, it is dicey, man. I mean, you know, ERA is something we all look at, but yeah, like it's very misleading to say Joe Ross allowed zero earned runs in six innings on Saturday. That's not an accurate capturing of what he did. Fan graphs, you can find this stat on there, RA9 war. It's basically a version of pitcher war that just factors in how many innings did you throw? How many runs did you give up? It takes out the idea of earned runs and just this bottom line, how many runs did you give up earned or unearned? And I like to look at that sometimes because I, I think there is something to that of just like, hey, how many innings did you go? How many runs did you give up? Bottom line, 
because, you know, you get caught up in this earned run stuff and it can kind of throw stuff off. But yeah, it, you know, this is Joe Ross. I mean, I, I don't think he's changing at this point. He's, he's been at the major league level for a good chunk of time, even though two years ago he got dropped down uh, for a bit. But this is how he is. And, you know, for a number four, number five starter, you can do worse, but pretty clearly you can do better. And with the way things are right now with this rotation, you'd like for him to be doing better. Uh, 11 starts on the year. He's got an ERA of 480. You know, he's got a whip of 134. Like, that's kind of what he's been this year. But he does just enough every start, it feels like, to make you think like, okay, you know, here he is. Uh, He's worth having out there. But there's always just enough to not sway you with Joe Ross. And that outing on Saturday certainly was that. Well, the good news was that it's not like the Nats had to use a bunch of relievers in this game. And we'll get to this in a bit, but the bullpen start for Sunday remains intact. And that's going to go ahead and do this year. So at least, you know, Ross was able to consume six innings. Davey does have to go with three relievers on Saturday. They combined to allow one run in two innings. Kyle McGowan, a perfect bottom of the seventh. I tell you, I like McGowan. He, he's done everything that's been asked of him by the team this year. He's got an ERA at 270, whip a 090 over 13 and a third innings. McGowan with another good outing on Saturday. Sam Clay, though, struggled. Uh, Sam Clay faced three batters and would ended up being only a Phillies one-run eighth, thanks to Kyle Finnegan. And Clay recorded no outs in facing three batters. Gave up a leadoff single to Dubal Herrera, single to Gene Segura on an 0-2 pitch, and an RBI single to Bryce Harper for a 5-2 Phillies lead. And I'm guessing every person listening to this podcast right now when the Phillies scored that fifth run, you said, all right, that's it, game over. There's no way the Nats are coming back from this. The insurmountable three-run lead uh, in the eighth inning. But this outing leaves Sam Clay with some bad numbers here recently. You know, Sam Clay for a while was rolling, ground ball pitcher, etc. He's allowed four runs in two and two-thirds innings on eight hits and two walks over his last five appearances. But then came Kyle Finnegan. And how about the job Finnegan did? He saved the Nats in the bottom of the eighth. He kept that inning from being far worse than it could have been. Uh, Finnegan comes into the game, runners at the corners, nobody out, gets three consecutive outs, including striking out JT Riomuto on three pitches and then striking out the pinch hitter Brad Miller on five pitches, the first two of which were called strikes. So the two Kyles did well, McGowan and Finnegan, but Clay struggled again. Yeah, and that one was a bad stretch in, in a spot where they just needed him to be better than that. You're just trying to keep it close enough to give your team a chance, and he, he didn't retire any of the three. And on top of that, now you're making another guy have to work that inning. This was a day because Ross got through six and you only have to cover eight innings in this game because they were losing. That's a game where you should be able to get through this with only two, maybe even only one reliever in theory. And here was the problem. They not, they not only used three, but they had swear a warming at one point because they always have swear a warming in coming to the game. And they even had Brad hand warming at one point, alongside Clay. And that was as the bottom of the eighth is playing out. And it was the, well, if we somehow tie the game, we want to go to hand. And I get that. Of course, you want to be prepared for that possibility. But it happens a little too often where these guys, there's a term for it that I'm not going to use, the baseball term of warming a guy up without putting him in the game that is a little bit not safe for work. (laughs) You may have heard it by now. Um, It happens a little too often. And I don't know what the right answer is, but it's like if you're going to warm a guy up, you got to get him into the game, especially the day before you're doing a bullpen game. You need all these guys to be as fresh as possible for Sunday's game. And it, it, this is a small thing. It doesn't, it doesn't cost them the game. It's probably not going to make the difference Sunday. But over the long haul, those kind of little things do add up. And I know it's something that relievers sometimes don't like when that happens to them and they don't get into a game after getting hot. 
I heard Davey Martinez after the game told Daniel Hudson to warm up. And, and Hudson was like, why, Skip? The game's over. And Davey's like, honey, just go do it. All right. That's, he's, just, he's so used to having Hudson warm up. But no, you're right. I mean, that, there's, uh, there's definitely a toll that is taken, especially when you have uh, some older arms in that Nationals bullpen with doing this. So Nats now 24-31, and 31, game three at the Phillies, Sunday afternoon at 105. And yes, it is the rare bird that is a Nationals bullpen game. Phillies will be starting Vince Velasquez. We almost never see this from the Nationals in an era in which you have teams using openers and tandem starts and bullpen outings. Uh, the Nats don't do that stuff, right? They've leaned on a traditional approach to starting pitching for years. It's largely worked. Uh, this season, though, things are going a little differently. And so it's going to be a bullpen game. I know David did not identify specifically who will start. Presumably, we'll see a good chunk of Austin Voth, a good chunk of our guy Paolo Espino, did you have any inkling as to who does actually start the game? And what are you expecting here? Because like I said, we almost never see this from the Nets. Right. Well, let's start by explaining why this is happening. This is Steven Strasburg's spot in the rotation. And he got hurt, obviously, his last time out. And so they need somebody to take it. Eric Fetty will be taking this spot next time around, I presume. But because of Fetty's ridiculous attempt to get a rehab start in at Wilmington, it took three tries, two rainouts. And then he finally, on uh, Saturday, was able to do it and went five innings. Sounds like everything went well there, so that's good. But obviously, he can't come back and pitch Sunday. And they weren't going to do that to him, put him in a big league game without having had a, a real rehab. So that's why they are where they are. And rather than calling up a minor leaguer, and I think they were prepared if on Saturday they had to burn up more of the bullpen. I think they were ready to call someone up, maybe Ben Bramer, maybe Jeffrey Rodriguez, if you remember him. Ultimately, I think they feel like a fresh Austin Voth, a fresh Paolo Espino, and the other guys are good enough to give them, at least give them a better chance than one of those call-ups. So that's the reason why. Now, here, I think you're going to like this, and I have no idea, This is I have no inside intel on this, but one reason if I wonder why they aren't just coming out and saying who it is, because Austin Voth would seem to be the obvious candidate to at least pitch the most innings in this game. Here's what I was wondering, though. The top of the Phillies lineup if they do the normal thing, it's Odubel Herrera, Gene Segura, Bryce Harper, two out of three lefties. Would you do the true opener yes. and use a lefty here? Now, here's the problem, though. Who are the two lefties in the Nats bullpen? Brad Hand. They're not starting Brad Hand in this game. It would be fascinating if they did that in the first inning. They're not going to do that. I just can't see Davey being that crazy to do it. So the only other one is Sam Clay. Now, if he was coming off a nice outing on Saturday, you'd say, hey, maybe let's give this a shot. I just don't know if they're willing to pull that trigger and do that right off the bat in the first inning with an inexperienced lefty. But if ever there was a time that I would support that idea, put a lefty opener out there for the first inning or just for the first three batters, that's all it is. Then once Hoskins comes up, bring in Voth or the righty, whatever, this would be the time to do it. Uh, they should 100% be open to that. I don't think there's a chance in, you know what, that they do it because they don't like to do this stuff. I think they totally should be open to doing something like that. Historically speaking, the first inning is the highest scoring inning. But let's take a step back for a moment here. You're 24 and 31, okay? You're not having a good season. You can't score more than two runs. Why not go all out and try something different here and see if it works? I mean, it, there, there's definite logic behind it. You know, there's a little bit of uh, poetry to this because the next team the Nats will be facing is the Tampa Bay Rays, right? The team that really innovated this a few years ago, this idea of the opener. Oh, by the way, the Tampa Bay Rays, as we speak on this Saturday and tape this podcast, are 36 and 23 and atop not just the American League East standings, but the American League standings. The Tampa Bay Rays, who again this offseason essentially gutted the roster. You know, nobody can name any other players with the exception of maybe one or two people. The Rays, as we tape this pod, 
13 games above 500, plus 66 run differential. These innovative tactics work. I think that that should be open to exactly what you just said. There's no way they do it, but I think they should be open to this. And what do you have to lose at this point? I mean, the Nats are having a bad year. Give something like this a shot. I would love to see exactly what you just outlined, but there's no way. Would you put Brad Hand on the mound in the first inning? Absolutely. If that's who they feel like is the best guy to go with and well, from what we saw with Sam Clay on Saturday and what we've seen with Clay recently, yes, I would do it. Give Brad Hand a shot. I would love to see it just because it's a very interesting, compelling story and it's something different than we've been seeing all year long. And as a, a reporter, I'll take anything that's different and compelling. I would be shocked. You know, you never say never. And the fact that he didn't really name who it was, maybe maybe there's some kind of bizarre chance that it happens. I would still be very surprised by it. And my guess is we'll see both starting the game and then maybe Espino after that. But I don't disagree with you. Why not? What do you have to lose? It's kind of like a, hey, this is a bullpen game, so we're kind of going for broke anyways. If there ever there's a time just to say, hey, we're going for broke all across the board, why not? And you have an off day on Monday, too. It is worth mentioning, Davey Martinez on March 25th of this year in one of these pregame Zoom press conferences at spring training with you guys did reveal an openness to the opener. And, you know, he acknowledged this, which we were not used to hearing. So it's not like Davey completely poo-poos this idea. It's just not something that's have done a lot of. They did do it one time, though. It was on July 26, 2019. It ended up being a 9-3 loss to the Dodgers at Nationals Park. The Nats used Matt Grace as an opener for the game. A lot of this was circumstantial. Grace, a lefty. Dodgers had, have a number of good lefty batters. Grace as an opener worked. This kind of gets forgotten about the game. The Nats lost it because the guy who relieved Grace, Joe Ross, interestingly enough, got shelled after that. But Grace tossed two perfect innings to begin the game with three strikeouts. All three of the strikeouts were of Dodgers lefty batters. So the one time the Nats did do this, the actual opener himself worked. It was the guy who relieved the opener who did not work. But as we've come to know with Joe Ross, when he works as a reliever, things don't go so well. Ross as a starter has actually been a different story in his career. So, you know, if they're that spooked by the one time they did it, they shouldn't be because the actual opener pitched well in that game for whatever that's worth a few years ago. But yeah, man, I think Sunday could be interesting. I hope they do that. I would love to see that. It certainly would give us a lot to talk about uh, on the Nats Chat podcast. I did want to make mention of something. It was a uh, it's kind of a sneaky roster move the Nats made, I guess, officially on Friday. So the Nats on Friday announced the signing of a lefty pitcher, Josh Rogers, to a minor league contract to sign him to AAA Rochester. The Orioles AAA affiliate Norfolk released Rogers on Monday. And it just, you know, Mark, it made me think of the Seinfeld where Jerry's dating a woman who used to date Newman. And when Jerry finds out that the woman used to date Newman, Jerry can't go forward with the woman because he's like, she wasn't good enough for Newman. How can she be good enough for me? And that's how I kind of feel like with Josh Rogers. This guy wasn't good enough for the Orioles, the tanking, pitching-starved Orioles, and yet the Nats sign him. Now, let me make clear. I'm glad the Nats signed Josh Rogers. They should be signing the Josh Rogers of the world. But it does it not speak to just the complete lack of pitching depth right now in the farm system, in the organization, that a guy who the lowly Orioles had no usage for, the Nats end up gobbling up, put him at AAA, Rochester, and, you know, we'll see what happens with him. If I remember that episode right, I believe it was Newman who broke up with her. She wasn't my type. And Jerry is completely mystified by that, and rightfully so. But, yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, it does speak to where they are as an organization with pitching depth that they feel the need to sign a guy like that. And... I don't know that they have any real visions of Josh Rogers pitching for them in the big leagues anytime soon. 
but you need arms at AAA sometimes just to get you through it. And, you know, why not? If he's available, he has some experience and maybe someday you do need him if things go really horribly wrong or if nothing else, it's helping you get through a season at AAA without having to put more stress on other guys who maybe do have a future in the organization. So it happens. But yeah, there haven't been that many of these <laughs> former Orioles who end up with the Nationals. It's not a very long list. And certainly they don't make trades with each other at the big league level. Uh, that's a whole nother story. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens from it. But hopefully Josh Rogers ends up being a, a better companion for the Nationals than uh, Jerry's date was. Yes, exactly. It did work out a few years ago. The Orioles had Edwin Jackson. He did not pitch well for them. The O's cut ties with him. The Nats got Jackson for his second stint with the Nats, and he actually ended up doing some things for the Nats. So uh, you never know with these things. Yeah, but Edwin Jackson pitched for every team in the major. So that he one did. doesn't really count. But he went from the Orioles to the Nats. But yes, you're right. Edwin Jackson has played for everybody. There's no qu- Edwin Jackson is the Ryan Fitzpatrick of uh, Major League Pitchers. Yes. We get lots of emails from you guys. Natschatpodcast at gmail.com. I did want to uh, bring this one to this podcast and see uh, what we think about this. This is from Joel Charney. He says, Dear Island Mark, so today, Friday, after the Braves lost, you were discussing the Nats need to go out and get a bona fide offensive threat at second or third base to strengthen the lineup and get the rest of the infield back to their planned 2021 roles. One ideal candidate is Adam Frazier, the Pirates second baseman who is having a career year for the Bucs. And he goes through the stats that Frazier has put up this season, uh, makes mention of the fact that Frazier can't be a free agent until after the 2023 season, so he would not be a rental. Uh, He's in his age 29 season, you know, raises the idea of this is a guy who is arbitration eligible for the first time next year, so the money maybe is about to go up with Adam Frazier. But Joel also does say, hey, you know, the Nats just made this trade with the Pirates this past offseason for Josh Bell, so there there is a Mike Rizzo-Ben Charrington relationship. Perhaps someone like this would make some sense. Now, obviously, there's the idea of, well, who do you give up? What do the Nats have to give up? But what do you think about that, Mark? The notion of trading for someone like an Adam Frazier to maybe try to beef up the offense. I mean, sure, that's the type of hitter they could use. A a guy who gets on base, guy who makes contact, guy who does a little bit at the top of the order for you, and he would play the right position for them. Uh, I think he may be in demand from some other teams. I've already seen rumors about the Yankees maybe being interested in him, and they have probably a better pool of prospects to offer up right now than the Nationals do. And that's going to be a problem moving forward as we get into the next month or so and we have to decide, okay, are there any legitimate trade candidates out there? I I think there will be a decent number of players who fit the profile of what the Nationals could use. It's going to be a question of do they have what it takes to give up to get someone like that and how much are they willing to mortgage what little future they have in their farm system for that. So I don't know. We'll see. You know, it's a good idea. He's the right kind of player. I do have to say, for those who don't know, I, I was born in Pittsburgh, even though I was, grew up in Phoenix, grew up as a Pirates fan. And uh, it's been a long time since they were good and I was really into them. But it is kind of sad to me at times that the answer for any team that needs help is, well, just just trade for someone from the Pirates. They'll, they'll give them up. You know, the list of quality players the Pirates have traded in recent years, especially, is just astounding. And they usually don't get much in return for them. It's kind of sad to me that that's just the answer always. Just go to the Pirates. You can always find somebody from them. But in this case, it probably is true. The Pirates are pathetic. And I say that not as a shot at like the ballpark, which is beautiful, or the franchise's history, which is deep, but the ownership is horrendous. My wife is from Pittsburgh. Her whole family is from Pittsburgh. They call the Pirates owner Bob Nutting, Bob Nothing, because that's, <laughs> that's what he spends on the team, nothing. 
they cry poor as much as any team in baseball, even though there's a ton of national revenue coming the Pirates' way. They've benefited big time from revenue sharing. Uh, it's really a shame what has happened with the Pirates. And, you know, they had that, like, three-season surge 2013 through 2015, the wild card appearances. I'll never forget Pirates' Reds and the fans at PNC chanting, Cueto, Cueto, and he drops the ball on the mound. The park was on fire that night. <laughs> standing room only crowd trying to get under Johnny Cueto's skin and they might be. Pirates baseball was alive and well and you know it's like the movie Awakenings where Robert De Niro goes back into the catatonic state. That's what's happened with the Pirates the last few years. They are right back to being a bottom feeder, a second division club and it's going to be a long while before they get good again. I will say this about Adam Frazier just doing some research on him. He's one of these guys for whom the Babbitt this season is sky high, and it's not in line with where it's ever been for him. His batting average on balls in play, entering games on Saturday, 375, which is Ooh. to the moon. His career Babbitts, like season in, season out, are right around that league average number of 300. And if you're wondering, because sometimes a guy's Babbitt will shoot up because like the hard hit rate shoots up, that has not happened with Adam Frazier this year. He's hitting balls about as hard as he usually hits them. So that is a pretty screaming sign of... Just a lot of good luck for Adam Frazier. So I would be cautious with Adam Frazier and buying into him being a new player, a better player. It may just be he's been a very lucky player so far uh, this year. But he does offer, as uh, Ron Rivera likes to say, position flex. He can play second base. He can play left field. So there is merit to the Nationals potentially trading for a guy like this. At some point, Mark, it feels like something has to happen. You can't keep trotting out the same people, the same lineup, the same options for Davey and expect appreciably better results. I mean, we're seeing guys like Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber be better, Juan Soto hit for power, and the results still aren't there. And I I don't know that it's reasonable to expect, like, a few weeks from now, things will be any different. Like, it just feels like this is kind of the way things are with the roster is currently constructed. And here's the catch-22 of it all. You say, yes, of course they need offensive help. They should be going out right now and trying to do that. But the flip side of it is, if they're, what, seven games under five hundred they haven't given the GM and ownership enough reason to think that they are going to be good enough that it's worth it to go give up a prospect for somebody, that it's worth it to go for it, essentially, this year. So which happens first? You wait for the current group to turn it on and get hot and then say, okay, now you've given us justification for trading for someone? Or do you have to say, no, we have to trade for someone first to even give ourselves a chance to get back in it? And that's a that's a tough spot to be in here on, on early June. Yes, and... We have time to do this, but if you are not trading for someone, then you should be trading away someone. And as you know, the season goes on and the Nats keep losing and Max Scherzer keeps killing it, the notion of trading him come the trade deadline is very real. And the Nats should 100% be on board with it. We're not there yet. I don't know if the Nats will have the moxie to do it, but they should certainly be open to it because the farm system needs all the help it can get. You just signed Josh Rogers from the Orioles, okay? You need help with the farm system. Trading away Max in a contract season in which he's been outstanding can help you replenish that. Well, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email us NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can send in your voice memos as well. If you would like to voice your concerns, voice your questions, just send those to us, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Also, Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts remain in stock. Continue to see a lot of great feedback to those shirts. They are terrific-looking shirts. You can get yours by going to NatsChatPodcast.com. 
.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. And Davey, do it. Go with Brad Hand as the opener on Sunday. You went out with Newman? Just a few times. Why? I liked him. You liked Newman? Look, I'm a little uncomfortable talking about this, okay? No, I'm sorry. I'm just a little curious. I mean, why did you stop seeing him? He ended it.